0: Well good morning. The series is hereafter and we're talking about what the Bible has to say about our future. You know one of the encouraging messages of the Bible is that what we're experiencing now is not all there is. There is something to come after. There's something after where we're at right now. So that's what this series has been about and As we've been going through this series hereafter, we've been taking passages from the book of Revelation. It might seem odd for you, this is Christmas time, right? Odd to do a Revelation series right around Christmas time. What's the the connection? Well, you know, one of the interesting things about the Bible is because it is so incredibly consistent, you you can really cut into the Bible at just about any point. You're gonna surface with the same message. And the thing is, the message you will most often surface with is the primary message of the Bible, and that is, That God loves you so much, he would do anything to have a relationship with you. Anything. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And and it's something that we've been talking about through the past messages. Remember, we talked about the concept of a kinsman redeemer. There was a a need for us to, to have a relationship with God, and there was a break in the relationship between us and him, and he made a way so that we could have that relationship over again. And what we're going to talk about this morning and focus on a lot, though, is how does that work in relationship to the world that we live in, and, and, and what, can we, what can we learn about what's going on here in the world, and how that affects us as individuals, and how that affects us as, as Christians. And I've, I've got to tell you, right off of the bat, uh, that this message is very heavy on my heart this morning, and then there's a part of this message that's sort of dark, and there's a part of this message that's very very exciting and, and uh, awesome to think about, but i got to tell you, this, this message is heavy on my heart this morning because I have never seen Satan fight a message like the message this weekend. I've never seen him interfere as much as he has interfered. I've never seen him him accost me personally uh, in the ways that he's done in the past 24, 48 hours a week. And so here's here's what I want you to know. I really think he wouldn't be messing with me if this isn't something that he's afraid of. And we're gonna talk about the fact that at some point God is gonna thump Satan on the back of the head again, and he's gonna quit messing with what's going on in the world. And so this is not a message he particularly likes. But I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to shy away from this. I'm going to hit you with both barrels and let you know what God has given me this week. We're going to talk about what's going on here and how that's going to change, because this is not all there is, is. Two questions I get asked a lot as a pastor. One is, why is this happening to me? You know, I go to the hospital and visit somebody who's, who's ill, and there's you know, I know that the person that I'm talking to is a person of great character, a person with a great heart, a great parent, a great family member, beloved by the, the individuals who are close to them, and it just doesn't seem like there's any reason why they should be lying in this hospital bed suffering with what it is they're, they're dealing with, whether it be cancer or, or something else. And they'll ask me with, with the best intentions and the best heart, they'll ask me, Jonathan, why is this happening to me? And then they'll ask me this, they'll say, is this the best I can hope for? Is this the best I can expect? Well, can I tell you those are the two questions I want to answer this morning. I want to answer, why, is, why do bad things happen to good people? i do my best to answer that question for you. If you're taking notes, this may, this may not be of help to you right now, but it may be of help to you down the road and I'll try to answer for you, what's the, what, what can we hope for? Because this is not the best we can hope for. What can we hope for? So when I was doing research for this, um, this message, um, I decided to get away to a quiet place and um, you know, study, this, study the Bible and pray. So I, w- I went to the library, and and was sitting there, had my computer open and and my Bible open, and I was talking to God. You you probably didn't know God was at the library, but he is. I was talking to God. I had my Bible my my laptop, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw the newspaper rack. You know how libraries have a newspaper rack. So I I thought, well, you know, I'll go over there. I'm talking about what's going on in the world right now. I'll go over there and grab the Wichita Eagle, grab the USA Today, New York Times, and just kind of look and see what's front page news right now. And the thing is, I don't know about you, but what I read on the front page of those, of those major papers was really depressing. It was really saddening. I mean, I began to just catalog just a few of the things I began to see. Uh, violence of, of all sorts, fraud, um, political uncertainty and unrest, um, illness and, and, and unexplained illness, really, heartache, uh, family unrest, domestic uh, problems, and, and, the, and the list goes on. We know, these things, we know these things happen to people. We know these things happen to good people. And here's the deal. We try, to, we try to not think about the risk, right? When you get up in the morning, you say, well, I can't just live in a closet and, and tr- just try to, you know, avoid all risks. So I know I have to take risks. And we try to develop a trusting nature that today I trust nothing bad's gonna happen to me. But at the same time, we still put the backstops there, right? I mean, we still buy auto insurance and we still buy life insurance. I mean, we put locks on our doors, we protect ourselves because we know that bad things happen to good people. But do we really ask why? And here's the thing. When we do ask why, are we getting a sufficient answer? I think one thing that, that I would encourage you, and I know my dad would encourage you is, you, is you're listening to someone speak like me, or you're talking to another godly individual, or, or maybe it's just you're just talking to a friend. It's always important to ask. When I ask an important life question and they give me an answer, is that a sufficient answer? Is that good enough? Is the answer that I just got for real? Or is it just what they came up with off the top of their head? Because I've heard all sorts of answers to this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, who knows? You know? No, there's nobody, no, no way we can know why bad things happen to good people. And or or somebody will say, well, bad things happen to good people because, you know, it's it's their you know, their luck or, you know, this just the way the world goes and that's life. By the way, there is no more frustrating phrase than that's life. I don't even know what that means. That's a good beginning of a song. Anyway, I'm going, I'm, I'm moving past that. But, but here's the deal, that, you know, when I begin to ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? I recognize and realize that it wasn't that way in the beginning, right? When we read the creation account in Genesis, we see that God, now God is a perfect being, correct? And God is evaluating his creation and he goes and he creates a a part of the creation, he says it's good. Creates another part of the creation, it's good. He continually says it's good, it's good, it's very good. And what what God is confirming is the fact that his creation is at this point perfect. That is the sort of world, ladies and gentlemen, that God created for us to live in. When he put Adam and Eve in this world, he put them into a perfect world. He assigned Adam a job. This, you know, at, at the end of the day, this is what, when you read those first precious, few, uh, precious couple chapters of Genesis in the beginning, this is God's intent for the world. What you begin to see is this is how God wanted the world to work. This is how God designed the world to work. And then we get to that chapter in Genesis 3 where everything goes south. And I wanna just say this, you know, sometimes we, we read a passage like Genesis 3 and we just, we just go through it really quickly and, and we get the, the Cliff's Notes in our head and we get the Google Earth view and we don't really think about the deeper plot behind it. So, so let me kinda talk for a minute about the story with Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit and so forth. I mean, we know that God placed Adam and Eve in a perfect environment and he said, here's the deal, all these things are at your disposal, but this one tree, you can't eat from this one tree. And then Satan snuck into the garden and began to deceive Eve and told Eve that God did not have her best interest at heart. By the way, we'll come back to that. Told Eve that God was lying to her. And Eve decided to eat of the fruit. Eve gave the fruit to Adam. Adam ate of the fruit. And here's the thing, we look at that story and sometimes we think, well I guess the the moral of the story here is, you know, God put two people in this garden and he said, don't break my rule, and they broke his rule, he slapped them on the hand, everything's been messed up since. We think that's that's the whole of the story, but see, there's a much deeper plot than that. See, before Satan ever entered that garden to try to trick Eve, something else had happened. Now, I want to tell you something fundamental about Satan's character, and it's not something you haven't heard from my dad before. Satan's character is this, he wants to be worshiped. At some point he decided that he was worthy of worship, he wants to be worshiped, and so when he was in heaven, at a point, and this is the reason, see Satan started off as an angel, and the reason that he ended up going to the dark side was he believed that in order to be worshiped, he would have to make himself equal or better to God. So he tried to usurp God's authority. In fact, from from what we can see in the Bible, he started kind of like a political campaign to try to get a whole bunch of the other angels in with him on the deal and take over. And it didn't much concern God. God just thumped him out of heaven and the other guys with him that he had recruited. Let's see, Satan got it. He understood at this point. I'm not gonna be able to just take away authority from God. I'm not gonna be able to do that. But see, when God created the world, and God created Adam and Eve, and remember this, God is very relational. God created Adam and Eve for a personal relationship with, and it was important to him, and what God did, when when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the world, Satan saw a loophole. Let me tell you where Satan found the loopholes in Genesis 128, this is in the message. God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image. Now this is God the Father speaking to the other members of the Trinity. Let us make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible, very important word. They can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and watch this, and yes, earth itself. God just said we're gonna make human beings responsible for earth itself. And every animal that moves on the face of earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. Now watch this. Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, and take charge. Again, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. God is delegating. Do you see this? God is delegating authority for the earth to Adam. He's delegating that, that, that responsibility for earth, even the Bible tells us earth itself, he's, he's delegating that authority to, to Adam. And so Satan sees a real opportunity here. He knows he can't go get it from God, but see, God delegated some of that authority away. So if he could get in there and get these individuals to submit to him rather than to submit to God, he could by de facto get that authority that God had bequeathed to them. And in a sense, he would end up in authority over the world. See, he didn't care about Adam and Eve he didn't care about the fruit. This was this was a small thing, but it was a symbol of a very very big, deep, long term plot. And the minute that that Adam and Eve chose to break God's trust, the minute that they chose to make make that choice and eat that forbidden fruit, something happened. I wanna I wanna give you a term and, and let you think about it. Well, let me ask you this question. Have you ever worked for a place where, where you were under bad management? I hear some laughter out there, so I'm assuming you, you have. You know, working under bad management is, is the kind of job that you dread going to in the morning, you know, because you never know what's gonna happen the next day. You never know, never know what to expect when you're under bad management. I would submit to you that the reason that bad things happen to good people is that this world is under very bad management. How did that happen? It happened when Adam handed management over to Satan. And let me tell you why it's so destructive to human beings like you and me. Because Satan does not care about us. God is a relational God. He loves us, he cares about us. He he proved when he sent his son to earth that there is nothing that could keep him from wanting to have a relationship with us. But let me tell you what, Satan is nothing like that. Satan has one goal, to be worshiped. We We are just a pawn, as far as he's concerned. If he can use us to get what he wants, great. Elsewise, then who cares what happens to us? And that's the big reason that earth is a weirded out, messed up, crazy place. It's a result of his management. You know, the world is, 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 a, is a dangerous place. And, and we, we pretty much, we get that, you know. But the reason that it's a dangerous place is the minute that Satan started managing this place, the temperament of this world was to push against God because that is Satan's, Satan's mode is to push against God. Satan's mode is to stiff-arm God, so when he began to manage the world, he began to use the resources of the world to do the very same thing, and that is push God away. And if any of us are wondering about that, we could just pick up again the front page of the newspaper and you'll see all the ways in which this world is pushing God away. Can I tell you something? This is an axiom, you can write it down and you will find it to always be true. When something or someone pushes against God, there is unavoidable danger. Anytime you have a person or a thing pushing against God, there is unavoidable danger, and that's what we live with in the world. (laughs) You know, we, we get to the point where we begin to identify with the danger in the world. You know, we we, we hear about our friends getting a divorce or, you know, some, someone that, that we love uh, has, has another loved one that passes away or someone that we, we know gets very, very ill, you know, and, and, and we, we begin to look at those things and we begin to think that that is normal, but it's not normal. That's Satan. That is what happened when this world became under new management. What kind of manager is Satan, I mean, here's the deal, you know, all, all my life, wherever I've worked, I've always wanted to know what kind of manager am I working for, because the person who's in authority over you will either make your life miserable, or they'll make it very enjoyable, it's just one, one or the other, so I think the question is, what kind of manager is Satan, let me read this to you from John eight forty four. 44, this again is from the message, speaking of Satan, he was the killer, your, your translation may say he was a murderer, he was the killer from the very start, Now, you're going to hear something over and over as I read this passage, so you just listen for it. It it ought to be really clear. He couldn't stand the truth because there wasn't a shred of truth in him. When the liar speaks, he makes it up out of his lying nature and fills the world with lies. That's pretty clear. What kind of manager is Satan? Well, first of all, he's a liar. If there's anybody else in this room who's like me, who's developed over a sense of the years a wall to guard from naivete to make sure because you never know if somebody's lying to you. You know, you've, you've kind of gotten that, that shell built around to kind of protect you from the fact that somebody may lie on you or lie to you and so you've kind of protected yourself. You've put yourself in a little bit of a, of a safe space because you don't know what somebody's going to you know, try to put over on you. You know, I mean, not to be you know, over-the-top here, funny, but we don't walk into a car dealership assuming that everybody there has our best interest at heart. You know? In, in, in probably, I would say, a large percentage of the situations that we find ourselves in life, we are very guarded. Can I tell you the reason we have had to learn to do that is Satan because the Bible tells us he is, the, he is the father of lies. It comes from him, so the most, the most damaging lie that you've experienced in your life the thing that hurts you the most when somebody broke your trust, I mean, you had, you had allowed this person to build up a trust account with you, and you had really given them some leeway, and you had opened up your heart to them, and you had uh, become transparent to them, and then they broke your trust. Can I tell you that that is not because God doesn't like you, God's mad at you, and he's letting bad things happen to you. That is because Satan is messing up this world, and he's using his MO to do it. Here's the thing. The Bible tells us he uses... Those lies like a murder weapon. We've felt that before. When our trust has been broken, it feels like a knife has been plunged into us. It's that same thing. Satan is using it like a murder weapon. Second thing, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and I'm, I'm working through this pretty quickly. It says, the God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The second thing about Satan is he makes the truth intentionally confusing. He intentionally confuses simple truth. So, you know, it could be that you came to this church, you know, and you you didn't have a relationship with Christ before you came here possibly, and you came here and you heard about a God that loves you and cares about you and wants to have a personal relationship with you, and it was very clear to you, and you understood it, and you accepted Christ, and you were so excited about it, and you went home, and you started telling people that you knew about how wonderful this was and what had happened to you, and, and about God, and about the relationship that you now have with him, and they looked at you with this blank stare and didn't understand a thing that you just said. And I tell you, Satan is in the business of making simple truth confusing. I'm going to share with you a concept, but be patient with me for a second, because this concept that I'm getting ready to share with you has been misused by a lot of people. I will explain myself, but if you were to ask me, Jonathan, why do bad things happen to good people? Bad things happen because of rebellion against God. Now, a lot of people have pointed the finger at individuals and said, you're in a sickbed, you're dealing with an illness, it's because you haven't haven't held up your end of the bargain, you haven't been the kind of Christian you should be, so if you would straighten up, you'd get better. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear me say anything like that. Bad things happen because of rebellion against God in general, Let me explain what I mean by that. There's two kinds of rebellion. One is personal rebellion. When Adam chose to to submit to Satan's authority and not to God's authority, that was personal rebellion. It was his personal decision to do that. But because he handed over authority over the earth to Satan, at that point, the world, at this point now, was in rebellion against God. That's a big difference. So that means that, that each of us has a personal decision. We can each personally either be living in rebellion against God or we can be living in, in submission to God. But regardless of whether we're in rebellion to God or in submission to God, the world in which we live is still in rebellion and headed on a collision course with judgment. So you might be thinking, well, Jonathan, if this is all the case, if, that, if, 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 if this is all true, then, then why didn't God just... I don't understand. Why didn't God just come back in right after Adam ate the fruit? And, and why didn't God take over again? And, and if, if, if God's not afraid of Satan, why didn't he just come in and, and take over authority again from Satan and, and, and take care of the situation at that point? Well, here's the deal. God was highly invested in Adam and Eve. He created them because he wanted to have a relationship with them. And he was very invested in them. If God, and here's the deal, and this is what I I hope you'll get this morning. At the point, and the point is coming, that's the second part of the message that I'm going to be hurrying to very quickly. At the point that God comes back and takes authority over this earth back, judgment will have to happen simultaneously. Because God is a righteous God, God is a right God, God 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 is a God that has set a path in motion that sin is something that must be paid for. It is a, there, there is a, a consequence to actions that, that again, rebellion against God is, is the prediction of bad things happening. We talked about that in Bless You. Submission to God is, is where blessing comes for, from. Rebellion against God is the prediction of a bad future. And so here's the deal. When God comes and takes care of the problem of the world being in rebellion, the personal rebellion will have to be dealt with simultaneously. And at that point, God had still not given Adam and Eve a chance, a second chance, to choose to live in submission to him rather than in rebellion. Why didn't God come back and just thump Satan at that point in time? It's because he cares too much about us. And the reason he has restrained himself, please understand this, God wants to take authority back from Satan over this world. But the reason that God has restrained himself is to give us a chance to change our hearts, to change our minds, to turn from personal rebellion against him to submission. The reason he's waited is because of us. For many of us, we've already made that choice to live in submission to God and not personal rebellion. Ephesians 2, 2, and 3 says this. It says, speaking to believers like you and me, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, in essence, managed. You were personally managed by the devil, The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So personally, you have turned the management chair over. Personally, you've kicked out the old manager and put a new manager in charge. And that's why in your heart and in your life you sense the peace that God is at work inside and you know that he is, you, you are under new management. The day, if, you, if you prayed to receive Christ in this building, the, the day that you walked out of this building there was a sign that said under new management. Unfortunately at that time the world didn't become under new management and even, even though you're a believer and a Christian you still live in a world that is messed up by Satan. So what does that mean for us? As believers, Well, I think for one thing, it means that we have to be very realistic about what it is that we're fighting against. Let me read this passage to you out of Ephesians 6.12. This is out of the New Living. It says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's what we're up against. And it's a battle. In fact, we even see... Part of this battle when we, when we look in the scriptures at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And as a matter of fact, remember I told you that Genesis 3 is part of a very deep plot. Well, we're going to see in, in the Gospels, in the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, we're going to see the plot really thicken. Because Satan's going to take the ace up his sleeve and go for Broke. Remember, at the end of the day, Satan wants one thing. He wants to be worshipped. Luke 4, 5 through 7 says this. The devil led him, this is Jesus, the devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. Who gave it to him? Adam. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, aha, there it is. If you worship me, it will all be yours. It's a hugely significant moment in time. Satan, Satan the whole Genesis 3 account, the whole thing that happens when Satan is tempting Adam and Eve is all about this moment. Remember how I said in the Bible, we keep coming to the same message? Genesis 3, it doesn't matter whether you're in the Synoptic Gospels, it doesn't matter whether you're in Revelation, you're going to find the same story. And this is Satan coming to God saying, I took authority you designed for another purpose, and I'm messing it up, and I'll give it back if you'll worship me. See, Satan thinks God is power hungry. But Satan doesn't understand that God is relationship driven. God's not about the power, he's about the relationship. That's why God God told Satan he wasn't buying it, he wasn't gonna play that. See, God already had ownership of this world, it was God's grace, it was his restraint that was keeping him from from taking over, taking charge at that point in time. But see, here's the deal, I I wanna get to this quickly. There is a time coming though, where God will put an end to the rebellion. For believers like you and me, that is a very, very powerfully exciting thing because the day is gonna come when, you know, this world has been under bad management. I mean, the management office has been filled with a person who doesn't care about you and me and who just wants to mess things up and really, more than anything, wants to use us uh, to to get at God. The day's coming when God is gonna put an end to that. God, as you heard when we first started about the tribulation a couple weeks ago, God has unfinished business with Israel. Then after that, God has unfinished business with Satan. And by the way, just let me tell you right now, God is not going to fight Satan to get the authority back, okay? He doesn't have to do that. God's gonna take the authority back and then he's gonna kick Satan's tail after that. Just so that we understand that he doesn't have to kick Satan's tail to get the keys of authority back. He still has the keys of authority. He's going to walk in, he's going to take charge, and nobody's, <laughs> nobody's going to be questioning what's happening. It's going to be very clear. There is new management in town, there's going to be a new manager sitting in the management chair. I want to read this. Verse 2 of Revelation 11. This is what I've been working all this time to get to, and I'm going to have to hurry through it. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The message here is the old boss has been fired. The new boss is Jesus, and he is a permanent reassignment. He's not going anywhere. This is a permanent restructuring. This is a permanent reordering of the leadership structure. He's sticking around, and he has our best interests at heart, and we kicked the old guy out. I think... As he walks into the manager's office, he puts a sign on the door that says this. This is John ten ten. The thief's purpose, that is Satan, Satan's purpose, is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. God's saying the old manager wanted to steal from you. The old manager wanted to kill you. The old manager wanted to destroy you. But the new manager, I just wanna give you a rich and satisfying life. See, we've become so accustomed to the way things are here, we think it's too good to hope for that. We think it's too good to hope that when, when God takes over, that his purpose would be for our benefit, that his purpose would be that we would have a rich and satisfying life. But see, that's what God created this for in the first place. This thing has gotten really messed up, and the thing is, we live in a broken world. But when he comes back and he takes over, He's going to change things. He's going to fix it. I want to just give you a couple quick things about God's management style. I mean, what will God's management style be? Well, it'll pretty much be what it is now. God doesn't change. But I think the thing is, it's very hard for us to recognize God's management style right now because we're still living in a broken world, and we have to see it through that filter. Later on in that passage in Revelation, starting in verse 18 it says this the nations were filled with wrath but now the time of your wrath has come and it is time to judge the dead and reward your servants the prophets as well as your holy people and look at this reward all who fear your name from the least to the greatest first thing about his management style is he rewards without prejudice I don't know if you're aware of this but this world has a really jacked up reward system it always seems like the, the, the people that are the meanest and the, and the most hurtful walk away with the biggest stack of chips, and, and the people who are, 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 you know, just have really great hearts and really wonderful people, we don't understand why they struggle so much. This world has a jacked up reward system, and I think, again, this is something that Satan has a hand in, but at the end of the day, when God takes over, he will reward from the least to the greatest without prejudice. Prejudice. me give you I'm skipping down here because I, I have too much material but let me skip down to Isaiah eleven three. 3 says he will delight in obeying the Lord he will not judge by appearance boy I'm thankful for that nor make a decision based on hearsay you ever have anybody make a decision on you because somebody else said something He'll give justice to the poor. He'll make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt, belt, and truth like an undergarment. Man, a huge thing about God. When God takes over, he will be in charge, and he will do the right thing. You ever notice we really struggle to get those two phrases in the same sentence? That somebody's in charge, and they do the right thing. And sometimes it feels like the more in charge somebody gets, the more politically difficult it is for them to do the right thing. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us that when God takes over, he will be in charge and he'll do the right thing. He's not taking marching orders from anybody else. He is the ultimate authority and he will be right. That's his character. That's his nature. We have his word on that. Last thing. Remember I told you that anybody or anything that puts himself in opposition to God is living in unavoidable danger. But when there is submission to God, there is safety. I read this to you, this is again out of Isaiah 11, starting in verse six. In that day the wolf and lamb will live together, the leopard will lie down with the baby goat, the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze with the bear, and the cub and the calf will lie down together, the lion will eat hay like a cow, The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. He will make the world a safe place. He's going to make the world a safe place. I, I'm out of time, but i got to read you this because this is too good. I would skip it, but I, I can't. Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. I don't have time to, to just expound on a lot of things here, but listen to these words and let them bless you this morning as we're getting ready to leave. Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. And my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. I will answer them before they call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, the lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. He's saying, I'm the manager now. And this is what I'm going to do for the people that are working for me. The people that are submitted to me, I'm going to take care of them before they even have a chance to come ask me what it is that they want. I'm going to make sure they have a safe place. I'm going I'm to reward without prejudice. And here's the thing, I'm also going to do the right thing. I don't know about you, but I want to read the newspaper the first morning we get there. Because so I think it's going to look a lot different. And I ask you one last question, then I'll be done. I talked about personal rebellion. I said, you know, you can either be in rebellion or submission to the Lord right now, even though we're living in a world that's on a collision course with judgment. And I told you that the reason that God has been restraining taking over is because he wants to give us time. He wants to give us time to make the decision to no longer live in rebellion. Can I ask you, have you made that personal decision? In your heart, have you decided, I am no longer gonna live in rebellion towards God. I'm gonna live in submission towards God. I want to have that relationship that He cares about so much that He has restrained Himself. That's what I want. If that's what you want this morning, can I tell you God is just waiting for a big yes from you. He's waiting to hear that that is what you want. And in fact, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Would you just for a moment? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a moment? I'm going to say the words to a prayer, and these words aren't magic by any stretch of the imagination. These are just words that say to God, "Yes, I want to live in submission to You. I give my life to You." If, If 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 that's where you are this morning, would you repeat silently these words after me and if you mean this in your heart to God, he will save you. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. This morning, I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I believe in you, Jesus.